And welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I am your host, the publisher of said newsletter, Matt Brown. I am chatting here with my friend, my colleague, and my co-host, Brian Fisher. It's good to have you on the other side of the mic, my friend. Well, it's good to be uh, good to be back with you. It's good to be uh, awake and uh, caffeinated, <laughs> and uh, excited to uh, to talk so a particular brand of of college football that I think you and I have a particular affinity to, especially after this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, like this this is a good week to kind of get back to our old routines on some level. And you know, I, I wasn't somebody that that covered college football games on a weekly basis really ever in my career. Um, but it was generally something I did multiple times a season when I was at Vox and my, my sports writing career before SB Nation, I, I, you know, involved me going to actual stadiums and something that I like doing to be reminded that this universe exists outside of my basement. And after launching Extra Points in the middle of the pandemic and, and trying to build a source network and trying to do everything well, almost exclusively from my house, I have been desperate to, to hit the road. Um, oh, a little bit of that is because I want to get away from my kids for a little bit, but but mostly because I want to. That, that's how that's how you're able to develop relationships and tell stories in, in a different way. So I was, but I, you know, you're also trying to sit here, man, and think about oh, I got to be responsible. I don't want to come, you know, pick, you know, go to a game with thirty thousand people, catch something, bring it back to my children, have them miss two weeks because of quarantine. Um, you know, you don't want to go to. You only want to go to a game at this point for me if you have a really good reason. I would not want my children to miss school because I went to see Northwestern football. But there is a football game this weekend that I think is worth the risk. A titanic clash of the Titans. Your 129th ranked UConn Huskies are going to hit the road to take on the 130 ranked Massachusetts Minutemen. Um, it is the true, and this is something I, I honestly say with love. This is a sickos game. And I just spent 600 bucks and I'm going to drop a few hundred dollars more to fly into Hartford and drive up to Amherst and talk to some athletic directors and be at this game in person because I think it is important to be documented nationally. The, the, the biggest sickos game that I think I can think of in recent memory. You know, uh, as soon as you brought this up and, and you mentioned it to, to me, the first question I had for you was was not why are you going not you know how you know how are you justifying this my question was was how did you talk to your wife about saying i want to go to yukon umass because I, I know your wife has has at least some uh understanding of college football i'm sure she's understanding that the the records of these two are, are not the world beaters but i'm just how did you pitch that to your wife Take the two kids uh, under under both under six and and say take them for the weekend. I'm going to Amherst. I'm going to stores and and we'll see you later. How did that conversation go, Matt? I am blessed enough. I mean, I, I said this. I said this a couple of times. Really, like I, I think it's a major blessing that my wife Taylor does not follow or really care about college football. I think that is important. So then, when I sit there for staring at Twitter and staring at this, this tiny little isolated world or watching a, a weird football game for a while that I can, I can break away. I can go upstairs and be reminded that this world is not that important. And for my own mental health, that has been a, a real blessing in our marriage. It's also a real blessing in my marriage when I say, listen, it's, I, I, I need to take a business trip this weekend. I need to cover a game. I need to go to Massachusetts. And <laughs> she is aware that, yeah, that team's bad. I think, was she aware of how bad? Um, no. 
And, and, and thankfully, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think she knew, uh, knew enough to ask too many questions. And, and let me just kind of barrel into the unasked question, which is why, right? And I, I want to be, I want to be honest about this because, like, you know, you mentioned this on Twitter, and there's, 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 there's some people here that are, I think, ironically excited about it. But I am not going and not spending this much money and not making this big of a trip for a Twitter bit. Like I am taking this seriously. I'm going to talk with the UMass's athletic director before the game. I've reached out to the individuals at UConn. And the point here is not to shame either of these programs, but so much of extra points is talking about why universities have football, how that, why they have athletic departments at all, what they hope to obtain from funding athletic departments and how success looks different at different places. The success of the New Mexico State football program is not judged to the same standards as the success at Ohio State or Texas or, or UCLA. Um, and that's not the the soft bigotry of low expectations. Like that, That's just the reality. What better place to get a case study of that principle looking different than at UConn and UMass? That's why I want to go. I want to go and talk to the people that have been tailgating all of these UMass games. I want to get an idea for not what this looks like now. It's probably going to be pretty lousy football right now. I want to know what, what they want this to be in 10 years. And I, I think it's one thing. It's it's easy to make jokes on Twitter. And Lord knows I want to keep making jokes on Twitter because I'm, I'm not funny or especially creative. But that's that's why I want to go. Also, I'm told there's like a pretty good pizza place uh, in Amherst and the leaves are changing and it's supposed to be really pretty. And I've never been to New England. And, I've, you know, I'm, I'm sure all that's fine. But that that is the real non-joking answer about why I'm doing this. I have not been to Amherst either, so uh, you'll you'll have to definitely give me those tips. But uh, I, I think it's actually an interesting game because, you know, we've seen bad football actually be interesting football. And we saw it this past weekend with UConn in particular in, in the Vanderbilt game uh, coming down to the end. And let's face it, the Huskies on the field. And I, I guess this is a bit more of up my alley since I watch a little bit more football than you. But uh, yeah. I've had my eyes on this this UConn team a, a few times this this year already. And uh, saw, you know, saw them play Fresno State, uh, saw them play certainly that Vanderbilt game and, and that thrilling ending where they, they almost pulled off the the upset of an SEC team. They've uh, gotten better. They're not. They're not. This team is not atrocious. Since they fired Randy Etzel, they have played much better. Uh, and now a lot of it has has come down to uh, essentially kind of throwing a lot of their, their freshmen out there and playing a little, young, you know, some of the younger guys and kind of throwing them to the fire. And it's actually worked out not too bad for them. But I, I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, they're in the market for head coach, obviously. Um, you know, they, they've got uh, an interesting status in terms of they're an FBS independent. Uh, they, we, we obviously, UMass is as well. And uh, let's face it, on the, on the other side, you know, let's face it, Walt Bell, uh, you know, also feeling the heat, I think, um, you know, given his record, given where the program is it's been so difficult to kind of judge his tenure um you know given everything that has happened you throw in the covid year you throw in uh just the the difficulty of being an fbs independent and, and the schedules that umass uh, has has faced but uh you know walt bell has has a tough task ahead of him and uh, i think an athletic director that is you know certainly looking at, at, at the football program and and wanting to do more with it and so i think that is coming into conflict it'll be a, a big test case for for really both sides in terms of not only getting a win uh, on the docket this weekend, but really looking forward and seeing what they can become uh, out of this game. And I think that's, that's going to be part of your trip as well. Yeah. I mean, there, there are, I have not watched a ton of UMass football this year. I have watched more UConn football than, than I had expected. Honestly, I think, I think I've watched, uh, 
at least part of almost all of their games. And the defense has looked a lot better. And you're right, this is a really young team. It's been a really young team here for a minute. They also didn't play last year, right? So it's been like over uh, New York Times. New York Times. People forget this, that the, that they, they were the New York Times national champion. So it's been well over what, two years, calendar years, since some of these guys have won a game. This is arguably... I, I say this even though I know Yale's on the schedule next week. That this might be UConn's best chance for a definitive win. I, I feel like the, I think the Vegas line was around three last time I checked. Um, I'm not a gambling man, but as as weird as this is to say, like I would I would probably put lay the money on UConn uh, to to not only win but 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 cover. Um, I think UMass probably has if if this game doesn't work out. I mean they they host Rhode Island in Maine and. This is, I guess, the, the best Rhode Island team here in a minute, but I think they should they should definitely be favored in both those games. They got a road game in New Mexico State that's kind of winnable, so I, I don't I don't think they're going to go over um, like they did during the COVID year when they were just horrific, and in in twenty nineteen when they, they they just won the one game and were mostly non competitive. I, I I think both these teams will win games this season, but this this is a this is a good litmus test, right? Because if, if you're a fan of either of these programs or associated with either of these programs, you're always going to be compared to one another, right? There's not that many independent programs. There's not that many independent programs in the Northeast. Uh, programs that that have more things in common than, than they have apart. It's it's uh, it's it's an important gut check when, on a lot of levels. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, just to see their journey. I mean, you look at it, UMass, this is um, their fourth oldest program in, in all of FBS. And, uh, you know, UConn also has a, has a history going back to the, the 1890s. They've uh, really had their, their most success uh, back in their FCS days. And I think that is yeah. really weighed a bit on the programs, especially some of the those older, old enough to kind of understand, you know, what happened, um, you know, back in those days where there was actually wins and, and some success uh, for for both sides in those FCS days. Obviously, UConn, I, I think everybody really across college football understands uh, they, they had that one magical year out of the Big East where they got to got invited to that Fiesta Bowl and uh, things did not go well. Uh, but Randy Edsel parlayed that into the Maryland job and um, UConn football really hasn't ever been the same since. Uh, certainly not at the FBS level. Um, you know, this is a, a football program that's kind of been dragged uh, elsewhere uh, as a result of their basketball program. Let's, let's face it, UConn is a basketball Basketball school, we I think we all know that. I think yeah. we all understand that. But uh, that's fine. And 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 I think viewing the rest of the athletic department through that lens is is important to kind of keep in mind when you, you look at the Huskies. Um, you know, this is certainly not a team that uh, thinks they're they're going to be competing for national ch- titles in football anytime soon. But they, they do want to have that that program. They do want to have uh, you know uh, tailgating on on Saturdays. That they, they do want to have the success that uh, you know having a football program can bring. Um, certainly, they they would like the, the wins to follow, but um, I think it's it's been a, a journey, certainly for UConn uh, to end up at this point, and and the same is true with with UMass. You know, I think they were one of the the bigger test case scenarios of, of moving up from the FCS ranks, had a ton, a ton of success, and, and the transition just has not gone well uh, since they've moved up to the FBS, uh, and 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 that's a sharp contrast, and, and maybe points a bit to football in the Northeast and, and just the issues with it, you know, just the, the talent base certainly is not there from, from the high school football players. Um, you know, you're, you're having to recruit multiple areas uh, to, to bring you know kids up from Florida. I mean, this is, we, we, we've talked before about Rutgers, you know, Rutgers football and how Greg Schiano 
the the ability for him to go into states like Florida and, and, and other spots in the South to bring up talent uh, up north. Um, you know, I, I think that that has been kind of the key to the Scarlet Knight success. Uh, other programs in the region are, are going to have to follow the same formula. And uh, this is just a, a fascinating uh, kind of pair of programs caught in this moment right now in, in history. And uh, this, this game might not mean a whole lot to, to a lot of folks, but, um, you know, taking a step back, it, it, it's been a kind of crazy winding road. And, and I'm kind of curious to see certainly where these these programs go from here, because um, UConn in, UConn's independence uh, has been rocky. They've got a long ways to go. Uh, I think UMass, although they've they've been in the MAC, they've they've been in uh, other places. You know, I, I think they've kind of said we're we're stuck. We're not just we're stuck on uh, the FBS uh, in, independent route, but I, I think they am, are embracing it uh, more than than a lot of others. You know, I think if you ask New Mexico State or some of the others, they, they would love that conference invite. I, I don't quite get that sense necessarily from UMass just yet. That, that's one of the another one of the reasons I, I wanted to go to to talk about that, and we can we can kind of um, we we can, we can diagnose and, and dig into a couple of these other programs here in, in just a second. But you you did mention something a little bit earlier that I, I think is is worth talking about. I feel like there's something a little bit unique to college football, especially compared to professional football, about the entertainment and watchability factor when the teams are not actually good. Like this, this is, I mean, I, I, we can't really argue aesthetics, but like for me personally, a bad college basketball game, maybe when one team is running the Princeton offense and both teams are shooting 30% from the field and the, there's, there's terrible spacing and, and people are making bad decisions. That is not fun at all for me to watch. I uh, briefly attended a Patriot League institution. I used to be an American Eagle. I watched a lot of Lafayette American basketball games, and it was garbage. And like, and, but I think if you took, you know, the, those were you know kind of like mid to low two hundreds Ken Palm level programs. If you made the equivalent for a college football game, which isn't quite a UMass UConn situation, but like a, like a Tuesday night mid level MAC game which is the similar, I think, comparable level of quality, I'd still watch it. And then on Sunday, what, if I'm, would I want to watch another Texans-Jaguars game? Like, no. I mean, maybe to make fun of whatever Urban Meyer's doing next, but, it, but like bad NFL football or a, you know, Hornets magic basketball game on a Tuesday night, like that's not fun. But, but bad college football has a kind of romantic unpredictability to it. Do you see things similar? Is, do, do you, is it, is it, is there something similar in other sports or is this just like my Twitter rotting my brain? No, I, I think that's, that's certainly accurate on the, the college football front, because I, I think as, as bad as things can become, there's always something unique about it. And, and whether it's the, certainly the pageantry, um, you know, that, that's unique to each institution, um, you know, whether it's mascots on the sidelines or uh, just things that, you know, quirks that you, you're going to see across uh, stadiums, um, things that teams do. And, and even when the football itself is bad, there's, there's something you just typically don't see on, on the football field. Um, you know, whether it's a trick play, um, you know, whether it's just, you know, you know unique, unique formations uh, as coaches try to design things that not only can, can bring success, but, uh, you know, bring success with with uh, some significant limitations in terms of personnel and, and scheming around things. You know, this is this is why I think college football has always been 
kind of a, a breeding ground of, of creativity offensively in particular, but, but also, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, changing schemes defensively, um, you, you, you don't really see the three, three, five being run in the NFL, but you do in, you know, in college. And I think a lot of that has to do with necessity, you know, just, you know, having your personnel, where can you find edges here and there? And, and a lot of that comes down to, um, you know, we're, we're, we're limited in this area. Well, let's try to scheme up and, and do what we can uh, to, to accentuate our, our strengths and, and play to a, uh, you know, kind of hide up some of our negatives. And, and that uh, ha- has led to even bad football being watchable at the college level. And so that I, I think that kind of contributes quite a bit. But uh, e- either way, I, you're, you're right. I, I Bad NFL football is unwatchable, mostly because I, I think just the creativity is not there. You know, it, it's, it's three yards in a cloud of dust. And while that has gotten better in the last couple of years, uh, as teams have become more creative a- at the college level, you know, you, you're going to see something new that you really have not seen before pretty much every football game every Saturday. That's a great point. It's, it, is a, it is a great point that when you're watching an atrocious college football game, your chances of seeing something you've never seen before are much higher than watching a bad college baseball game or a G League basketball game or Russian hockey or something or whatever, whatever that equivalent is. And you, you do have to be kind of creative to, to scheme up around the, uh, of, of simply not having the personnel. I, that may be part of the reason why I think a lot of historically really bad college football programs um, are, are not, not just born out of like irony, poison Twitter or, or football hipsters, but there is uh, there's there, still an, an endearing watchability to them, even if, if they're not really competing for anything. And you know, this year, I think that the trope has really kind of taken hold to call those sickos games, you know, after the, with the the onion, you know, this guy laughing in the window that the sickos T-shirt. And I'll put that in the show notes. You've probably seen it uh, if you have any kind of social media. Uh, what I thought we could do here, real quick, since we, now that we spent way more time talking about UMass and UConn than than any other college sports podcast, I want to talk about a couple of the other perennial sicko jobs and sicko programs <laughs> right now in college football. And I'd love to kind of hear you. We can kind of talk a little bit about. What is the trajectory for any of them to become less sicko? And by that, I don't mean competing for Rose Bowl bids. I mean, just being like regular bad, uh, occasionally making the chameleon bowl, uh, being part of the great unwashed middle, lower middle of college football, where you don't think about it too much. Like, you know, you don't think about North Texas that often, unless you are from the, 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 that, that part of the country. You don't really necessarily think about Troy that much, even though Troy's pretty bad this year. Um, probably, if you're a college football fan, you probably do think about New Mexico State a little bit more. That's a little bit of a sicko job. I, I, why, don't, why don't we start there, right? This is a program that's, I, well, I think, made one bowl game in, in our lifetime. And when they're in the national consciousness, it is usually not for anything that they're doing well on the field. Uh, there's a good chance that they're going to be making a, a coaching hire this offseason. Do you see a realistic pathway for New Mexico State to be just like, Regular five and seven bad and not what they are. Yeah, I I think that's on the horizon, but a lot of it is going to depend on ultimately what happens with the whack 
and whether that really is a league that wants to move from FCS to FBS. I think that's that's something New Mexico State would like. I think that would be a fit, obviously, institutionally, uh, given the other sports already there. I, I think football program-wise, the the level of those conference games, I, I think, would would certainly be a little bit more comparable. And and you, you know, you mentioned having a new football coach, Doug Martin. Uh, his contract expires this year at, at the at the end of the season. So, um, you know, they are are essentially going to make a change. And um, you know, there's there was some certainly some rumblings. Um, you know. Out of that coaching staff, uh, you know, during the pandemic year, uh, given everything that happens, they, they wanted to kind of roll over things for, for another year. They did not get that from the administration. I think everybody understands that uh, it was a cost saving move, um, you know, to kind of keep going uh, with the status quo and uh, just hire a new coach simply, which is uh, really a unique occurrence in college football. I, you know, you very rare in situation with Jim Harbaugh kind of approaching that a, a little bit uh, before they, they uh, redid his deal uh, prior to this year. But um, very rarely do you see a college football coach kind of serve out the, the remainder of his contract. And that's essentially what Doug Martin is, is going to do. So I, I think this is a, a program that is, is certainly going to make a higher, um, you know, try to change the trajectory of things and, and maybe get back to their roots a little bit. But uh, I think the, the administration itself does have a little bit higher expectations than, than some of the other uh, programs we're going to discuss here today in terms of what they ultimately want out of their football program. Still, still, obviously, something, you know, basketball is, is a big part uh, of their identity. But uh, I think the, the football success um, from a couple of years ago, getting to a bowl game, uh, I believe it was the Arizona Bowl. Um, you know, I, I think that energized a, a section of the fan base and uh, they just never kind of followed that up. And so I think getting back to a, a standpoint to where you could go, as you mentioned, five and seven, maybe make a bowl game here or there, um, you know, is, is ultimately what New Mexico State would would love to do. Whether the Aggies can can ultimately get there, I think, is is obviously up for debate and, and will come down largely to factors probably not in their control. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can tell you, and this isn't just like personal conjecture, like this is something I've heard from people at that school, is that they feel really good about the whack. And, you know, if, if the Mountain West came calling, I think Mario would pick up the phone, but they are, they feel really good about some of these new FCS programs that are in that league. And they would like some, if not all of them to eventually make a transition to FBS. And then you have a geographic identity, you know, where you're going to be, where you're recruiting. You don't necessarily have to take three or four body bag games a season. Um, the, the problem is you're right. Like that isn't within New Mexico State's uh, like local you know, area of control, right? That's going to depend on the playoff contract. That's going to depend on the ability to fundraise for a bunch of these other programs. It's going to depend a little bit on who ends up being the new commissioner of the WAC. I don't know who that's going to be yet. Um, I imagine it will be somebody whose focus and area of expertise will be to help other schools put themselves in a position to make that transition. And I don't think that, the, yeah, yeah, like this is the school I kind of go back to. They would love to make bowl games more regularly. The that bowl game that they made was a transformational experience for that institution, for that fan base, for their ability to raise money. But when you're living on the margins, sustainability is real tough. And this is something I think we'll talk about with a lot of the kind of proverbial sicko kind of programs, right? Is um, you're, you have to really live by the transfer portal and you really have to live by, with JUCOs. Like that, that's a major part of New Mexico State's um, recruiting footprint is the New Mexico Military Institute, West Los Angeles College, uh, Coffeyville, Holmes, um, uh, the, the JUCO system within the state of California, within the, within Texas, within Kansas, and then uh, P5 kids who um, fall through the cracks and, and, and uh, need another shot. 
what that means is you're going to have a lot of roster turnover from year to year. And you're, you're kind of to use the, the kind of the phrase that, that I know Godfrey likes to use a lot. You're, you're looking at kids at the scratch and dent sale, right? And some of those are going to pay off and some of those are hitting the portal or went to Juco for a reason. And it, it's, it, it's not going to fit. So it's it, sustaining anything is, is going to be tough. I don't think this team like right now is putrid, even though wins are, are going to be a, a challenge. They've been at least competitive um, in, in some of their other games here. Um, I have no, I, I'll be fascinated to see where they go with the hire, right? Cause it's, it's not the kind of gig where you're going to be able to get like a promising, you know, P5 coordinator or something, right? You're either going to be getting, so I would imagine an established head coach who's looking to reinvent themselves, somebody on the back end of their career, looking for a retirement job, knowing that they're probably not going to be there for 10 years or somebody like a Walt Bell, a real young guy who's, who's really desperate for that opportunity. Um, we'll, 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 we'll see where they go. It's hard for me to see a world where they're like going seven to five on a regular basis, but I think they could probably be a little bit better than this. Well, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head as tar- in terms of what these programs are really facing in terms of headwinds is, is just coaching talent because, you know, yeah, you're, you're almost having to dip into the FCS ranks almost exclusively uh, to, to hire your head coach just because the, the money is just not there. Um, for a lot of these assistants, the lifestyle is just not there. I mean, you know, you, you look around the SEC and it, it's pretty standard for you to have, you know, a million, million and a half coordinators. Usually those guys are the ones that are taking the jobs in the American and then there's kind of the filter down effect from there. But you know what? Yeah. The AAC, the Mountain West right now, they, you're, you're taking a pay cut to go to Boise State, to go to Colorado State. Um, you know, th- those, those schools are, you know, if, if you're lucky, maybe you can get into the million and a half. Uh, maybe we'll get into the twos um, just given inflation and, and the, the slow increases of those TV contracts. But, um, you know, it, it, it's typically been uh, almost you got to take a chance if you're one of those coordinators or head coaches. Um, if you're not getting a Power 5 gig directly, um, you know, like somebody like a, a Tony Elliott that always comes up, he's going to get likely a power five gig directly. Somebody like Jeff Halfley going from, you know, Ohio State's defensive coordinator to Boston College. That That's really kind of the likely scenario uh, for, for a lot of these guys that are jumping, because otherwise, uh, not only are you, you taking a pay cut, but uh, your lifestyles uh, taking jobs like New Mexico State, uh, you know, like uh, uh, as we'll get into, you know, UTEP, some of these other ones. Um, you know, it's like you, you're going to be in your 50s or 60s and have never gotten that headshot. And maybe this is your one chance or you're an fcs up and comer or maybe you're uh, as, as we'll get into maybe with some of the others is um maybe you just want to change and you want to go into the option ranks and and you say well we're, we're changing that way but um you know i i would be also remiss to say i, I think new mexico state also you know you, you mentioned juco's a little bit there earlier that's another program that that could be hurt um you know if you, you go back a couple of months the arizona juco's um essentially shut down in, in that state and they they were you know the arizona westerns and, and whatnot of the world were, were capable of producing uh you know several high-end fbs division one players and i think with throwing in the transfer portal throwing in a lot of the changes that have gone on nationally um you know the 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 fact that uh, the Arizona JUCOs are not really an option for uh, New Mexico State to kind of dip into a little bit, um, you know, and, and you're having to go even further into Kansas, going into, you know, Texas, um, you know, California JUCOs have been hit hard uh, recently, especially with the pandemic. Uh, it, it's just a difficult recruiting environment for New Mexico State. And, and that really does kind of limit their ceiling on top of everything that we've also been discussing. Man, that sounds like a hell of an extra points newsletter or, or newsletters. Um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna add that to my Trello board, right? The the rise and decline of of Western JUCOs. Um, since we're talking about New Mexico State, why don't why don't we talk a little bit here about their peer program, or their their, their closest neighbor, in many ways, uh, UTEP, which has really struggled over the last couple of years. But in case you haven't been paying attention, you know, if you're one of our listeners, you you probably have. Um, UTEP is four and one. And they still they they they're traveling to Southern Miss, who's looks awful this week. They are hosting a real bad. I mean, they 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 have to play North Texas on the road, and they're real bad. Rice is still kind of eh, uh, UAB's kind of hasn't been that great. I know that we need to talk to our children right now about Iowa potentially making the college football playoff. But like, do we need to talk to our children about UTEP making a bowl game? Uh, are they are they already no longer a Sicko's team? Well, you know, given how kind of wide open Conference USA is in, in certain respects, I mean, it seems like every game has kind of been a wild one so far this season. I mean, uh, possibly, you know, I, I think in, in Dana Dimmel, uh, you know, the head coach, this has really come at a, at a good time for him in terms of, you know, his contract situation. I think, you know, had this been another year of lack of progress, you know, I think that the school might be uh, keeping an eye on making a change perhaps. But uh, yeah. I think at the end of the day, you know, the progress has has been enough there, certainly with with that four and one record and uh, potentially getting to a bowl game, you know, especially given some of the how loose some of the restrictions are in terms of how you're counting wins and all that, uh, that that's going to help a, a program like UTEP. But, um, you know, let's face it, this is a, a, a very proud program, a, a program really tied into the community there in El Paso, too. Um, you know, they obviously played in the Sun Bowl. That, that's a huge uh, you know, feather in their cap um, playing in that stadium, you know, especially if you, you know, know West Texas at all and, and kind of the draw that that has. Um, it's, it's not just uh, for those sombrero hats uh, on, on New Year's Day with the, the Sun Bowl itself. I mean, this is a, uh, you know, very, uh, you know, vulnerable, venerable uh, stadium. And, and I think, uh, you know, UTEP as, as a program um, certainly has had their struggles, but there's still enough there under the surface, um, you know, plus having the conference affiliation that makes you think, they're in a better spot than, than some of the others. And, and certainly they're in a better spot than New Mexico State, even some of their you know peers kind of in the region as well that uh, even have a conference like New Mexico. I, I would much rather be at UTEP than, than New Mexico. And, and I think the program support, especially from, from football uh, the standpoint, even though this is one of the few schools that plays their basketball coach more than their football coach, um, I, I think the football support is going to be a lot greater at a place like UTEP than it is in some of these other programs. UTEP's athletic department budget is not especially high, but it's not that much lower than your Garden Variety Sunbelt or or MAC program. Um, it is a little bit lower than New Mexico, um, New Mexico, but like not not by that much. Couple couple million bucks. Like I, I, maybe I'm an idiot, right? And, 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 but I feel like even though finances are a challenge. I know that they're very far away from most of the other really good high school football players in Texas. I feel like this is a program that probably should be better than than it, than it has been over a while. And people forget this, but El Paso is huge. Um, it's not the, the metro, metropolitan area in Texas that produces a, a, a ton of players, but you're right. A lot of history. They have fans that care. High school football is a real big deal in West Texas. Um and I'm 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 I, I'm hoping that they pull off a bowl a bowl bid this year. It would it would be nice. I don't know what what conferences USA is going to look like in five years. I I suspect, however, it is resolved, 
it will be beneficial for UTEP. Whether they somehow back into the Mountain West somehow, I'm told that's not likely, but you know who knows. But they don't have to keep flying to Old Dominion or to, to Marshall or some of these places that might as well be in Spain. I, I think that that's going to bode well for them long term. The thing about UTEP that that I would have a little bit of a concern just recently is is just uh, what's happening within the University of Texas system. Um, you know, you've you've mentioned I think before in extra points is you know there there are certain programs in the region, UT, uh, Rio Grande Valley, uh, a couple yep. others that want to start football programs. Uh, certainly, you have the pretty strong FCS uh, ranks. I mean, Santa Monica, Houston State, uh, you know. Well, I mean, it's a couple thousand miles, I guess, uh, away, just given uh, the size of the state of Texas. Uh, from <laughs> but, you know, the, the FCS uh, programs in the state are, are strong. There's been some realignment on that front. So um, you have some some movers and shakers. I think, um, you know, there's a wide expectation even in, uh, you know, the state of Texas that some of the other FBS programs, obviously UTSA, um, you know, has made some significant fr- strides under under Jeff Trailer. They're sitting there undefeated, should be ranked at this point. Um, you know, that that's a program with a lot of momentum. Um, you know, Texas State likely to make a coaching change so um really maybe utsa or utep's uh, biggest issues um is, is really what's happening around them um that that kind of might limit their ceiling just a bit but uh you know this is this is a program like we've mentioned it, it, it's got a lot of support locally um you know it's a pretty strong market all things considered uh for the size of the school and and i think um, you know, an athletic department that uh, does have their sights aimed high. I mean, this is they've been to, you know, bowl games, you know, several times. I mean, uh, Mike Price was um, showed the, a blueprint for how to be successful at, at this program. And, and he won, um, you know, at a level that I think that the fans would accept uh, certainly a return to. And uh, I think that's that's going to be the challenge, whether it's Dana Demo or somebody else, um, you know, kind of getting back to. Uh, just being consistent and, and not being kind of the dregs of college football is is going to be paramount for the program in the next couple of years. Um, there are three uh, FCS programs right now in the state of Texas ranked in the top 25. Stephen F. Austin, Incarnate Word, and the number one team in the country, your defending national champion, uh, Sam Houston State Bearcats. Um, let me go shift this quickly in a different sicko's direction. Let's talk about the biggest sicko in the Power Five. Let's talk about Kansas. And Kansas, I think, has improved relative to last year. But this was this is still a team that got put into a garbage can by a Sunbelt team. Yes, I know it was a top 25, very good Sunbelt team. Um, they're still hunting their first win. Their recruiting is still terrible. Um, they're bringing on yet, yet another coach here. Like, what can you sell me on a vision in three years where Kansas is like seven and five? Is is was there is there a legitimate other than the fact that they're, that they're not going to have to play Oklahoma and Texas every year pretty soon? Yeah, I mean that's that's part of it. Uh, certainly, is it's just the Big Twelve is kind of being uh, you know the, the rejiggered Big Twelve is is kind of going to suit Kansas not playing those powers. Um, but I mean. Uh, for the athletic department itself, it's obviously gone through a whole lot, especially on the on the basketball side in terms of some of the scandals that, that have happened uh, you know, with the Adidas and, and the NCAA. But this is a program that that is aiming higher. You know, I, I think that the folks at, at Kansas do want to have football success. That That's why they hired Les Miles in the first place. That, that's why they hired uh, Jeff Long in, in the first place. Um, now, obviously, those things uh, completely blew up in their face uh, to, to a lot of as, as a lot of people kind of predicted at the time. But. That was a little bit of a sign of ambition, and I think they're they're showing it again. I think with the higher level Lance Leipold and, and what he can do, I think he can build them up 
pretty to a pretty consistent program. Not not by, maybe back to the Orange Bowl days uh, under Mark Mangino, but no. at least getting back to a bowl game, being six and six, five and seven, that that kind of range, uh, a little bit more consistent. Um, you know, is, is something that's attainable. And they've they've put money into the football facilities. This this is a power uh, five program currently, and and I think you know still aims to be uh, with the way they are spending. Uh, certainly, you can reach into the Kansas City market. A lot has been happening there, obviously with the, with the Chiefs, but. Um, you know, it, 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 that, that success can kind of spill over a little bit um, in towards Kansas football. And I think getting back to just a, being a respectable level is, is Lance Leipold's biggest challenge. But I, I think it's one he's he's capable of doing. And we have seen strides uh, on, on the football field this year. The depth is not there. They, they just they just don't have enough bodies. And that's been their biggest issue really since Charlie Weiss took over. Um, the, the scholarships have really hampered Kansas football. But um, I, I think once they can kind of get that squared away, get guys that fit their system – um, you know, just simply being well, well coached, uh, like I think they will be under Lance Leipold, it, it, it's going to raise the floor, you know, quite a bit uh, for the Jayhawks. And you add on to that, uh, the, the spending that's happened in terms of the football. Um, I, I think this is a program. Yeah, they're at the bottom of the power five right now, but I, I think they can be a, a lot better in the, in the coming years. One thing that's really going to really help this program in the short term is we just came out today i think with with the ncaa saying that you can you can go over the the cap uh for signing players by seven this year if, if you're losing players to the portal given what's happening with, with COVID and everything and you're right that's been one of the big issues it hasn't just been discipline and player development and recruiting and almost everything else but it, it's it isn't just a, a, a glib joke to say that Kansas football has basically been an FCS team these past couple of years. They literally have only had like sixty something players or like scholarship players on the roster because both Weiss and then their 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 coach before Les Miles um, the, went, went JUCO heavy and they weren't able to replace uh, the players with the amount of attrition that they faced. They had to, you know, I've had a bunch of people leave the program. I know that they, they backfilled up by bringing in a couple of guys here from Buffalo. They're going to, this is going to definitely be a portal program, <laughs> I, I think, in the short term. But even if you are only recruiting low three stars, if you have 85 of those in this new Big 12, you're going to win. I mean, with, with, with a, a coach that I think we both believe is above replacement level, you're going to win more than two conference games a year. And that is, not the immediate future, but I think probably the future uh, in the near term. I can't really see a world where Kansas is like a regular seven and five, like seven and win eight win team. They haven't really been that consistently in my lifetime um, or yours uh, for that for that matter. But I, um, I I can definitely see a world where they're not just complete butt um, and and being embarrassed in conference play. That that I think is coming pretty soon. I mean, I have seen Kansas football in the Orange Bowl with my own two eyes. So anything is possible. And and I, while I think that is certainly a bit of a one-off, um, just the the consistency of the program is is what is needed badly. And I think that's ultimately what they're moving towards. Um, you know, I think they that they tried the the flashy hires and they, they tried the quick fixes and and it simply uh, did not work. And I think they're they're committed to to doing things the right way. And I think just going back to that coaching search, there was you know, a lot of a lot of interest, you know, I think from, from folks around, you know, the, the country that um, this job may be viewed public from the, the general public one way uh, among the coaching community. I think there, there was kind of the expectation, you know, yeah, you, you're going to get paid, you know, certainly uh, a little bit better than your group of five peers. And they're, they're 
you know, certainly access to talent. There's, uh, you know, the, the, the prestige of being in a conference like the Big 12, um, certainly even before uh, we knew all the realignment uh, issues were happening. But um, I think this is a program that uh, can get back to at least respectability and, and do it in, in the next four or five years. And, and we, I think that more than anything is, is going to lend some credence to, uh, you know, that there are cycles in, in this sport and Kansas is on an extended down cycle, but there's no reason to think that they cannot be, um, you know, cycle back up and, and at least, you know, reach some of the levels that, uh, you know, their peer program in Kansas state have, have reached times in, in the last decade or so. I want to wrap this up by talking about two other schools that I am not as optimistic about. Maybe you feel differently. And they're in completely different parts of the country, but I, I think they, they share some some similar struggles. First, let's talk about a school not that far from where I grew up. Let's talk about the Akron Zips, um, which, you know, I, I did win a MAC title in, in, in my lifetime. They've had a couple of, of flashes. Um but consistency has been basically non-existent. They were um, competitive with Ohio State for like two drives um, <laughs> this season before being summarily dismissed. Um, they are in, in, a, in a conference that probably has the most parity of just about anybody else in college athletics. Akron has been consistently near the bottom. Um, and there are likely going to be going through a coaching search again in the near future. My, my concern for them is I don't feel great about the University of Akron. Um, this school sh- shut down multiple departments and laid off a ton of staff coming out of the pandemic. Um, demographically, Northeast Ohio is not the best place to be. And I say this as a proud son of Ohio. Like this is where the population loss is, 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 is happening. And you're already like down the road from three other FBS or three other Division One universities in a part of the country that simply doesn't produce as many college students. Uh, so I, I'm kind of wondering if this is an institution, not just a, not just a football program that's uh, that's in a little bit of a death spiral <laughs> that's going to require a pretty big cash infusion to dig them out. Even though you're in a place that cares about football and you have a really nice football stadium, yeah. it's hard for me. It's hard for me to see like average Akron like this this seems like a team that's going to be a sickos team for a while you know to me the the Mac in particular the the difference between the high end of the Mac and the the low end of the Mac is is that you can go from one end to the other like the snap of the fingers and especially nowadays in in the kind of transfer portal age and so I think the turnaround on the field uh could could happen relatively quickly I mean we mentioned the facilities I think they are kind of in the upper half and maybe even upper third in terms of, you know, overall football facilities and whatnot. And, and I think that matters in, in places like the Mac, um, you know, and to me, they're really kind of one higher away, you know, really all the Mac schools to me are kind of one higher away from having that breakthrough season. And yeah, it's going to take a little bit more work just because they're so far behind the eight ball. But I mean, I, I think, you know, Bowling Green uh, was, was in a, just as, as bad or if not worse a spot uh, on the football field. And, and they ended up upsetting Minnesota this year. So, um, you know, you can have those those kind of on-field turnarounds. And I think Akron is, is certainly well-positioned to uh, do that. You know, whether they're moving on from Tom Arth, I, I think the, the record is what it is. Uh, obviously, they have a new AD that, that's come in. He doesn't really have a football background from, from my understanding. So I think that does kind of complicate things uh, a little bit. But separating that from what is going on at the university, you know, I, I think it is a school that would love to do well from a, a front porch standpoint uh, to kind of have the a- athletics 
uh, help the academics, but uh, it, it is tough. You know, of all the universities out there, um, you know that that have had issues through COVID, and um, you know really the the overall pressures in higher education. And the Akron is is a great example of it. Um, just just things that they face on on a daily basis. They do have a relatively new president. I think has has done some okay things, certainly from a fundraising standpoint. Um, you know, given the the COVID conditions, but um, you know, a lot of it is is coming down to making sure you have enough students uh, to to kind of go to your school and and what is your academic profile as a university. Um, certainly, how how do you relate to the community? A lot of those issues, I think, are, are a little bit um, you know unknown, uh, especially 10, 15 years down the road for Akron that they're going to have to deal with. On the field, again, I think they're you know kind of one higher away from helping turn things around. I mean, if, if Terry Bowden can get Akron to the MAC title game, you know, really anything is possible. So, uh, I, I think this is a you know if you can separate the athletics from the academics, it's not always easy to do that. But um, on the field, I, I think this is a program that that can turn things around somewhat quickly. But longer term, that's the issues that I think you can kind of see with with the Zips. Yeah, and and. It- most schools are one good hire away from going 500, but if you're if you're paying 400 grand for your next head coach, and they hired Arth from Division Three, from John Carroll, right? Like, which hey, great division, great Division Three program. Ohio's got excellent Division Three college football. A lot of great minds come from the non-Division One ranks. Um, not a great sign, you know. If you're having to kick the kick the tires on the 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 Case Western Reserve staff. For your next coach, might might be time to have a couple of conversations. The um, warmer equivalent of Akron would be the Louisiana Monroe, which I, I know they, they knocked knocked off Troy. They're they're, they're five hundred this season. Speaking of, speaking of, of Terry Bowden, but in terms of financial commitment and budgets, this is at this is a, an institution that is historically closer to the Southland than it is the Sun Belt, despite being in the Sun Belt. Um, they have played in one bowl game, uh, at the FBS level. They have never won nine games in a season. They've, they've hit eight, I think once it's, it, they've, they've normally been, you know, in the, you know, 20, 25 years they've been doing this, they've been pretty bad. And it isn't because people in Monroe don't care about college football. They do. It isn't because there aren't good high school football players in Louisiana and Arkansas and Mississippi and, there are. Um, I look at this and just think like, y'all are broke. <laughs> and it, it, well, so much of what we spend money on at the FBS level isn't really correlated with success, but there is still a floor that you have to be able to hit. I would be skeptical that this is a program that's going to be able to meet that, especially because the Sun Belt's going to get a lot harder. Um and then in the next couple of years, either because they're going to be expanding and adding more established programs or just because the top of this league is getting more money and better infrastructure and producing teams that used to be at top 40 level are now closer to a top 25 level. Yeah, I mean, there there's a lot of pressures on on ULM and and I mean it, just inside the state I mean obviously there's there's a pretty clear and established pecking order right you know this is, this is an LSU state uh, obviously and um, you know everything is is directed towards them primarily and um, that leaves you know Louisiana and, and Monroe and Tulane and, and all these others uh, to kind of fight for what's kind of been left over and and the 
worst part for Monroe right now is Louisiana is 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 on a huge rise w- under Billy Napier. Um, you know, Tulane has done some significant progress, not just under Willie Fritz, but in terms of the facilities, what they've done, New Orleans. I mean, opening an on-campus stadium. Um, you know, really they they've kind of been left in their dust by their their state peers. And then when you talk about regionally in the Sun Belt, um, you know, the level of investment that you've seen out places like App State and and just Coastal Carolina and uh, on and on and on. And and the league getting harder just really adds to uh, kind of their ills. And it, it's it's going to be a difficult path out there. Uh, you know, can you turn it around? Can you can you see a, uh, a rise like what we've seen out of, out of Louisiana? Maybe. But, um, you know, it, it, it's the deck is kind of stacked against Monroe. I mean, if you talk about just in terms of money and uh, just the challenges that uh, this this school and this athletic department face. I mean, it, it's one of the one of the biggest challenges, I think, in, in all of FBS, just in terms of uh, some of their pressures. And there are some great, great talent, certainly in Louisiana. And, and you can dip into Texas and some of the other gold states. But, um, you know, it, it, it's a tough gig. And I think it says a lot that, you know, it's, it's Terry Bowden and Rich Rod, um, you know, trying one more time uh, to kind of get things turned around and, uh, with, with with them. I mean, uh, it's it just this, it, this was not a job that had a lot of juice. Um, when it when it opened up, like there, there you're right. Like you were saying earlier, there are bad jobs that are attractive to people in the coaching community. This was not one of them. Um, not at all. And and I think I mean it, it's just it, it's been tough. Um, you know, and and I think this is a, a program that, um, you know, when when you kind of look out five, ten, fifteen years, should or would they be better off at the FCS level? And I think that's a, a debate that uh, has propped up from time to time. And, and I'm sure we'll continue to uh, not only around Monroe, but uh, around the state as well. Yeah. Um, the Southland conference would love to talk to you folks at Monroe. If the off chance you're listening, uh, feel free to feel free to return those phone calls. Um, I think we are, we are butting up here on about the, as long as it would make sense to dig into more sicko programs. I, I think we, I think we covered a, a lot of the, a lot of the, the major ones here. If you wanted a lot of what we said about Akron would be true about Kent state. Although Kent state is at least like something now, um, I know historically they, they've, they've been in, in, a, in a similar situation. Um, we kind of already talked about UConn and UMass and I'm going to, I'm going to have a longer dispatch after I get back uh, from that game. Um, are you working on anything else? Non sicko related? Uh, that we want to make sure that the world knows about right now. You know, my my column that comes out every Monday on Athlon Sports, I did write, you know, that the, the next Sickos game of the week was at, you know, UMass UConn. So, and and I kind of recapped the Vandy UConn game. So, you know, I, I have dipped my toes into these waters. But uh, yeah, that's um, you know Monday every every Monday my uh, my seven step drop column uh, is kind of surveying the field and, and college football comes out on on Athlon Sports and uh, we got NFL power rankings, got a whole whole bunch of stuff, uh, you know, from the weekend in, in football and uh, a lot more coming in, in the next couple of weeks. But uh, I'm excited to get back to it. Uh, it's it's been a nice diversion. Uh, Give it everything <laughs> on, but uh, sure. Um, I I published some a couple of things earlier this week that that honestly I'm I'm proud of. And and uh, if, if we didn't if we didn't have a hard out here, I think we could go another 30 minutes on. Uh, I, I reached out to a couple of experts within the broadcasting industry. Uh, with both uh, a former ESPN producer who's now a professor at Syracuse and a couple of folks that that, that do media market analysis and, and help conferences figure out their media rights valuation to get a better idea of like, 
how does a league determine which G5 program they should add to actually make the most money and what metrics people are looking at, how that process actually works? I think that clears up some of the misconceptions that are pretty popular on social media, especially if you're still writing about realignment from a 2014 playbook. Uh, that is a free extra points. Uh, I also wrote one on Tuesday, reached out to a couple of, uh, of marketplace executives and, and leaders within the NMWG likeness space uh, to see if the fact that a lot of the early um, – Big names in college football that took advantage of name NIL, a lot of them have struggled on the field so far. I wanted to see, hey, does that actually hurt this marketplace? Um, I'll go ahead and spoil it. The, the answer is no, but uh, but the the explanation may surprise you. Um, that is for subscribers. Um, this podcast and everything that I do is is made possible through subscriptions through extra points. Um, People who subscribe give me the money to be able to fly within a couple of days' notice to upstate, uh, to, to Western Massachusetts to watch a bad college football game. It allows me to pay freelancers and editors and uh, support the, the sport we're all doing here, right? You can, you can get every single Extra Points newsletter uh, by going to extrapointsnv.com. You should still be able to use the promo code podcast and get 20% off your order if you haven't done that yet. Um, that's all I got, I think, Brian. Uh, so uh, if there's nothing else, uh, I'll catch up with you when I get back from New England. Um, and uh, we'll catch you all next week. I got a fun guest lined up for next week. It should be, it should be a good one. So thanks for listening. We'll be in touch again soon.